so we try to tell these children to grow up and be more like us when the truth is one day we'll be more like them. This is All Things New with Pastor Barry E. Fields. Matthew chapter 18, and we begin reading in verse 1. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus, saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And calling to him a child, he put him in the midst of them and said, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin... It would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depth of the sea. Woe to the world for temptations to sin, for it is necessary that temptations come, but woe to the one by whom the temptation comes. And if your hand or your foot causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life crippled or lame than with two hands or two feet to be thrown into the eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into the hell of fire. It is ironic how many times the disciples keep arguing over this subject isn't the first time that it's happened. And Jesus is always giving us a paradox in the New Testament of what it means to be great. The first shall be last. The way up is the way down. He who would be greatest among you must first make himself a servant unto all. They're arguing and jockeying for position in the kingdom of heaven again. And Jesus says that greatness comes through having a childlike heart. This past week, Time Magazine released its annual list of 100 most influential people. Guess how many kids were on the list? Week before that, Fortune magazine lists its 40 most influential people. Not a whole lot of children on that list either. And it's ironic that Jesus says the way to greatness is not to grow up, but to become more childlike. I think our culture struggles a little bit with the opposite end of that. Maybe you remember growing up in the 90s, or you remember having kids in the 90s, the Toys R Us commercial, I don't want to grow up, I'm a Toys R Us kid. You've heard that before. I think there's a prolonged adolescence in our society. You know, a Jewish boy was considered an adult at 12 years old. Most people, as soon as they got out of school, were considered adults. They went and got jobs. Now we've got the opposite taking place. People get out of college, they graduate, and they can't find a job, so they move back home. We have to use a term that I don't know if it's a noun or a verb. I think they call that a gerund, but the fact that we have a term called adulting that is used by people in their late 20s and early 30s shows you a little bit about our culture today. And I don't think what Jesus is saying is forget about taking responsibility for yourself. Indeed, that's part of the problem. And some of us need to remember what the Old Testament tells us. Son, be a man. And if we had some fathers that would quit being absent over their children and take some responsibility over their lives, we would be in a better position, would we not? And yet Jesus tells us in this passage, in order to become great, you've got to first become small. You don't really want to grow up in the kingdom of God. You know, the Romans had a policy that you could leave your infant child out to die 
if you didn't care for the, the gender or the health. That's what the ancient society thought of kids. They were often moved to the background. But Jesus does the opposite. He moves them up to the forefront, and he says to them, unless you become like these children, unless you humble yourself as a child, you will not enter the kingdom of God. It's not the first time he's talked about children in the Gospels. He says, suffer the little children to come unto me in the King James. Suffer with the children. Suffer because of the children. Insert your own phrase. And forbid them not, for of such is the kingdom of heaven. And then he'll say, I thank you, Father, that you have hidden these things from the wise and prudent and hath revealed them unto babes. The Old Testament proverb, prophecy rather, says a little child shall lead them. And then he says, unless you turn, which is another word for repent, unless you do this, unless you become like children, you can't get into heaven. So on the one hand, we need to grow up. On the one side, however, we don't need to do any such thing. Whoever humbles himself like this child, so Jesus has a child with him, is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven placing finite trust in an infinite God. It's really what we have to do in our lives, isn't it? We have to overcome the finite with the infinite. Got to stop focusing on the horizontal and start looking to the vertical. You know, sometimes we make issues with the church or people in the church or maybe make issues with me personally, and you say, that stops my relationship with God, that, that hinders it. But, but really what you have to understand is that God is above and beyond all of that. Finite trust in an infinite God. Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. One of the most unexpected blessings of my life, I've been pastoring now nine years, I've been here four and a half years, I told somebody uh, earlier, if I make it here five more months, if y'all don't kick me out, I will have been here as long as I was at Mount Tabor, and whether you classify that as a good thing or a bad thing, I don't know, but I'll tell you this, in nine years of pastoral ministry, I expected some things and some things I did not expect. I did not expect how hard it would be. Way harder than it looks. And let, let me tell you, you earn the one hour a week that you work throughout the rest of the week. You really do. A lot of difficulty, a lot of tragedy. Had to do the funeral of a 31-year-old guy this week. Life cut short. But if you were to tell me the blessings that I would experience, I would hope that people would come to be saved. I would hope they would come to a knowledge of the Lord. I would hope that we would do things to impact the kingdom of Christ. But I have to tell you, one of the greatest blessings I have had in nine years of pastoral ministry is getting to be a pastor to children. And it wasn't that I, I disliked children before, I just wasn't paying as much attention to them. But when you have this relationship as even partly somewhat a, a godly example for children to try to look up to, it really makes a difference for you. I love interacting with our kids. I got two peppermints and one empty peppermint wrapper before the service today. It's great. You get, you know, you, you get stuff on, on demand. I, I love getting our kids riled up. And the greatest thing is after I've gotten them riled up and sugared up, I can send them home to you. It's the best of all worlds. I remember very well where I was. I told Keith I was going to talk about him this morning. 
I've got him when he's doing building and grounds projects all over the place. I'm kind of a type A personality, if you all don't know that. I've always got to have a project, and that's good. You want somebody pushing you a little bit. You just don't want to be pushed about everything all the time. And I remember talking about how we needed to be ready for guests. Everything needs to look well, and I still believe that. We need to present our best before the Lord. This is his house. And there was some, some paint in the old building on the hallway coming in in the basement. It's been a few years ago. I remember saying to Keith, I, he may not remember this, I remember this, I said, we need to paint these walls. They've got smudge, smudge marks all over them. That doesn't look good. And he said, you're right. But he said, you also need to remember that the fact that there's smudge marks on those walls means that kids are being reached. And if you go out in this wall right here, when you walk out, there's smudge marks all over them. I thank God for that. Because it means children are hearing the gospel I have a theory, you may agree with me. I think we learn more from them than they learn from us. If you come to our prayer request time on Sunday night, you know what most of our adults pray for? I'm not saying this is wrong, it's good. We spend most of our time praying for body parts. Pray for those who are sick among us. That's not a bad thing. Do you know who our kids pray for? They pray for the homeless. They pray for those who don't have Bibles. Colton Boso, two weeks ago, prayed for his next-door neighbor who doesn't go to church anywhere that he would come. They make sure that I pray for Donald Trump every week by mentioning him in the prayer request time. So, I do. There's something about children. They have this absolute confidence in the future that God holds. You ask them what you want to be when you grow up. I want to be an astronaut. I want to be a baseball player. I want to be a, a firefighter. There's this age of innocence and expressiveness. And if you look at it close enough beneath the surface, you realize that the lack of inhibition, the pure emotion of seeing the joy of life in children is really an expression of what heaven will be like. And so we try to tell these children to grow up and be more like us when the truth is one day we'll be more like them. And you especially see this in those who have developmental disabilities, those who have special needs, unhindered by society, unencumbered. The kingdom of God having a freedom, and you, sometimes we, we feel sorry for them. Oh, I think they feel sorry for us. Because they know what it means to live life unencumbered. Tiny Tim thanking God for the blessing of his weakness so that other people might see it in a Christmas carol. Children see the world differently than we do. They see it as it was meant to be seen. When you look in your yard and you see a patch of dandelions, what do you think? You think weeds, don't you? What does your kid think? Flowers for mom. When you look at somebody on the street who's old and smelly and looks a little bit shady, you try to steer your child the other way, what does your child want to do? I want to help them. When you hear music, you know you can't sing and you know you can't dance, what do you do? You sit there because you don't want to embarrass yourself or anybody else. What does your kid do? <laughs> they don't hold back. When you see a mud puddle, you try to avoid it. A kid sees a fortress, something to build, something to waller in, worms to... Reach out and get. G.K. Chesterton said this well. He said, I think God is the only child left in the universe, 
and all the rest of us have grown old and cynical because of sin. Average child asks 125 questions a day. Can I get a witness, moms and dads? <laughs> Average adult asks six. And so he tells us in the scripture passage to pray for a childlike heart. And it's in this context of children, of humility, of dependent trust on someone who is greater than them, that he says, whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned in the depth of the sea. If I used an analogy like that during a sermon, and it wasn't in the scripture, some of you would write me letters during the week. Some of you would stop me at the door and say, how could you say such a horrendous thing? And yet it's Jesus who says this to us. To harm a child, to neglect a child, it would be better for you to have a rock around your neck and for you to drown and to face the judgment of God. We know that all sin is sin in God's eyes, but there are consequences for certain sins that there are not for others. Jesus says it will be for Tyre and Sidon more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment than for you because you got to see things that Sodom and Gomorrah would have repented of in sackcloth and ashes. And to those who would harm, neglect our children, it would be better for you to drown than to face the judgment that you will face when you stand before God. I want you to think about some of the challenges that children face nowadays. Mark mentioned a few of them earlier. We often come to the default position of the, of the evils of abortion, but it's even beyond that. The causes that lead to that, there's child neglect, there's child abuse. And what you will see throughout the Bible is that Satan always comes after the weak, the vulnerable, and the least of these, and most of all, the children. And whenever it becomes a battle between Jesus and self, children are almost always caught in the crossfire. And so given the influence and the difficulties that they will face, perhaps the most important ministry in the church today is the children's ministry. It used to be a focus on students, and I thank God for students, and we should still reach out to them, but to reach a child, to raise them up, not only is it the, the best way to grow a church, it takes young families to reach young families, but when we welcome children and we teach them the things of God and they learn it at a young age, they are more likely at that young age to receive Christ than at any other time in their life. The vast majority of people who come to faith in Christ do so as children. And so we welcome children. We want that connection for you, parents, grandparents. But you got to meet us halfway. You got to have them here when the doors are open. Even if you bring them Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, we get them three or four hours a week. School system gets them nearly 40 hours a week, and you got them the rest of the week. You got to give us a chance. And I know that with ball games and other things on the schedules, it's become increasingly difficult, and that's not entirely your fault. You didn't schedule those games, you didn't schedule those recitals during worship times. 
But friends, when we can spend four or five nights a week taking our children to ball games, and we can't spend a few minutes a day in the Word of God and in prayer with them, we've got our priorities mixed up, do we not? And if we're not focusing on these children, not constantly teaching them about God, training them up in the way that they should go. Hey, how does God provide for us? You've got this food because God provided it for you. Why do mommy and daddy pray together? Because we love Jesus. And also understanding that ultimately it is God's work, not ours, training them with patience. You can't make your children trust in Christ. You can walk them down an aisle, but you can't help them trust in Jesus. You just have to teach them who Jesus is and what he's done. And trust that God will reach them. Leave them in his hands. And he says, in the midst of all that, loving the children, caring for the children, protect these children. And he tells us that in bewaring of temptation to sin. He says, woe to the world for temptations to sin. It is necessary that temptations come, so they're going to be there. Everyone was tempted. Jesus was as well. But woe to the one by whom the temptation comes. And then he says something equally shocking. If your hand or your foot causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to enter life crippled or lame than with two hands or two feet to be thrown into eternal fire. Jesus says it's better for you to be mutilated, to shred your limbs than to be overcome with sin. Think about the value of hands and feet or the value we think we have for them. But your heavenly Father knows more of what you need. Many of you are going to go home and say, well, Jesus wasn't really being that dramatic. He's speaking metaphorically. Okay. What if Jesus said, throw out your computer screen, get rid of your cell phone, and if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away, it's better for you to enter life with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown in the hell of fire. It's better for you to be partially blind than to have two functioning eyes in hell. You know, our society today has a total lack of discernment when it comes to temptation. No discernment whatsoever. 90% of avoiding sin is putting yourself into a situation where you would sin. That's how to avoid it. And yet we often set ourselves up for failure. He says you've got to guard your life, and most of all, you've got to guard the children who which God has entrusted you to protect. And the way that you do this is approaching God each and every week with humility, with childlikeness. Our culture doesn't value humility. They value self-esteem. Value overconfidence and arrogance and do your own thing. Jesus says, that's wonderful. But unless you come to me, you will in no wise enter the kingdom of heaven. Perhaps you've heard of the little girl who was, had to have her heart checked. She was nervous about it. The doctor was trying to make her feel better. And as he put her, the stethoscope on her little heart, he said, who am I going to find in there? He said, is Big Bird in there? She said, No. I said, well, is Cookie Monster in there? She looked at him and said, no. I said, is Barney the dinosaur in there? And she finally said, no, Jesus is in my heart and Barney's on my underwear. <laughs> Get it right. But unless you come to Christ with that simple 
childlike faith, and then trust Him for daily bread, daily life. You cannot enter into the kingdom of heaven. Oh God, help us to learn from the children so that they can teach us how to be like Jesus. Hey guys, thanks so much for listening to the broadcast. If you found it helpful, please consider sharing it with your family and friends. For more information, check us out online at barryefields.com.